Good evening, everybody. We missed you last week. It's been so long. It's been two weeks. It feels like a year. You are back with Zach the Bandit Burke and was going to be missing last week. But due to technical difficulties, there was no episode and we are so happy to have him here to have him alive after his bachelor weekend it's cam the 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 the, the turf king charlton what's going on cam well i'll just apologize in advance here my voice is just coming back from friday night's habs win i mean maybe a couple too many drinks that night and got a little too excited when Anderson scored in overtime and i mean rightfully so we're now one win away from the stanley cup finals i'm allowed to get excited So bear with me today a little bit with the voice and uh, we'll try and push through it. Hey, I mean, yeah, I mean, you absolutely have the right to be excited. It is what it is, man. I mean, um, like two, two reasons. Number one, you're on your bachelor weekend, which we had a blast. We had an absolute blast. We did, uh, uh, four day or sorry, uh, three days of golf up in Niagara, four rounds, 72 holes in 48 hours. Um, we had drinks, we had mini pot, we're with a bunch of our buddies and it was a good time. Cam's funeral as your, uh, fiance gave you the koozies with Cam's funeral on it. I thought that was amazing. Um, but yeah, Cavs win boys weekend. You, uh, had a few pops as our boy Doug would say a few pops with the boys. And if your voice was not screwed up, I actually would be disappointed. Yeah, it was brutal Monday morning at work. I'm supposed to be managing people, and I'm like trying to yell at people, and I just can't. I can't yell. I'm trying to talk over machines and stuff, and it just doesn't work. So it, it's been rough. I mean, trying to yell four on the golf course, trying to help out the boys, wasn't working either. I had to get other people to yell four for everyone because usually I'm the guy who yells four the loudest. Not this weekend. Did you Did you have fun though on the weekend? That's the big thing because that it was all it was supposed to be all about you and and you losing your your freedom. Uh, obviously in jest, but, but did you have fun? Yeah, it couldn't have been a better weekend. Everything went perfect and I was, uh, paying for it Monday though, but, oh. uh, yeah, it was, it was amazing. Finally sobering up Monday really hurt, but, uh, yeah, everything went just about as good as it could considering the last year and a half. And yeah, it was awesome. Weather was amazing. Um, I think it rained for 15 minutes on the first day. And then after that, it was gorgeous the rest of the time. Um, but yeah, I mean, COVID aside, it was, it was awesome. Like it was, it was such a good time. Uh, the one thing that I've actually noticed though, is, is like, so you and I both turned 27 in July, uh, in comparison with three years ago, my recovery time has extended by at least a day. Like I went to bed 1230 on Saturday night after drinking all day, you know, had a couple beers, like maybe two on Sunday. So, you you know, normally I'd be fine by like one o'clock. I, I was not fine until Tuesday morning. Like it took two full days to get there. I mean, yeah, I was even still a little tired yesterday. I mean, I was out probably till what? Two 30, both nights, three 30, the first night. So yeah. stayed out a little later and yeah, I was still like, I woke up Tuesday morning and I'm like, I do not want to get up for work. I mean, mind you, I get up at quarter to four for work, so it's quite early and it was a struggle. So yeah, definitely don't recover the same way we used to. Probably because we don't drink as much as we used to, excessively at least. And, yeah, it's not uh, a yeah, nightly it was rough. thing. Yeah, yeah, it, it it was a little rough. But but you know what? This is what you got to do. Um, I mean, that's that's the thing. So before um, we get into some sports and stuff, so 
I just want to apologize to uh, our listeners. We didn't have an episode last week. We did put out a tweet. We put out a Facebook post about it. Um, Cam was unavailable last week. Obviously, he had a lot of stuff to do. He was helping his his folks out. Um, he was gone for a couple days for the bachelor party. So I was going to run the podcast solo last week. Uh, I had about 55 minutes recorded. I had uh, two or three guests uh, that came on and, and did some segments. So shout out to the guys who came on. But unfortunately, 55 minutes in, uh, the program just completely crashed and I lost everything except for 13 minutes of Kyle Splash Kozai. It, and it was just him. I, I My piece was gone, so it would have just been Kyle talking about nothing to nobody. Um, so deepest apologies, but I said some really nice thing about Cam. Going solo is just not the same, so I'm happy to have you back, buddy. No, I'm happy to be back. I mean, we've been doing this how many weeks now? But, uh, yeah, just one week off. Hopefully we can keep it up after that. But life does come up some weeks, so yeah, apologize to the listeners, and uh, let's keep moving forward. Let's do it, and especially in the summertime, too. I think there's a week in August that I'm away, so and you're on your honeymoon. I mean, I can, we'll have to see how it goes, but realistically, during the summer times, there, there, there may be a week that we miss, um, but this summer is so jam-packed with, with sports. Um, right now, NHL playoffs, uh, getting in getting in down to crunch time, NBA playoffs getting down to crunch time, uh, Euro Cups on the go, baseball's about halfway through the season, the Olympics are coming up uh, in July, um, and, then, and then we dive right into football, which is absolutely our wheelhouse, so I am psyched, I'm so pumped, uh, there's so much to talk about, especially missing last week, where do you want to start? I mean, we've got to start it with the Habs, I mean, okay. when everyone's listening to it, this podcast it is thursday the habs will have a chance on the provincial holiday one of the biggest provincial holidays at home to make it to the stanley cup finals and it's just it's this is so much fun this is reminding me of 2019 kind of raptors i know you're not a fan of montreal but it's just that feeling like they haven't really been the biggest favorites i mean they were been underdogs massively in every series and they're just finding ways to get it done a lot of people thought the Raptors weren't going to get it done in 2019. They were underdogs in a couple of series and they just found ways of getting it done. And I mean, when I hear today that you're having a tough time hating this team as much as you want to, just because these players, these players are so much fun right now. Like you're watching Cole Caulfield and Philip Deneau do an interview together and they're just fist bumping in the middle of it, not even looking at each other, just fist bumping. Everyone's having lots of fun and it's just, yeah, this team's fun to cheer for right now. We're getting the country behind us in multiple ways, and it's it's awesome being a house fan right now. We're yeah, one so I mean, win away from the Stanley Cup Finals. Yeah, which is wild. I mean, and, and, and let me touch on that for a second. So, um, it's it, like I cannot cheer for the Habs. I mean, they, I, and there's certainly fans in certain groups who're like, "Oh, I'm cheering for the Habs. All of Canada should get behind whoever's left uh, on Canada." And I'm like, "Yeah, no." And then there's a comment that came out. They're like, "Well, the country got behind the Raptors." I'm like. Is there another NBA team in Canada? No. Is there another MLB team in Canada? No. So that's fine. Like you can absolutely get behind when there's only one team. There's seven teams in Canada. So um, yeah, it's completely different. And keep in mind too, like like you can like baseball, you can like um, basketball all you want. I mean, hockey has the deepest roots, the deepest rivalries. Um, so it's perfectly acceptable for me to not to dislike the Habs. It's, it's natural. This has been going on for over 100 years. Leafs fans, Habs fans not getting along. That being said, um, if the players on this team were playing on any other team, 
that like not Boston or anybody like that, but let's just say that the 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 Habs, the current players on the Habs were like the Minnesota Wild, I would 100% be on board that team. It, it's just and you're right, like the the vibe is super fun. The kids are coming up performing. You know, Carey Price. I, I have no ill will towards Carey Price. There's no one on that team that I really hate. Like, I mean, the most hated guy on that team is probably Brendan Gallagher, and you got it, and you have to respect him. I actually don't think that he's that dirty of a player. There's plenty of guys in the league that are way dirtier than him. And I don't know. I just I just really respect the team. Um, I don't re- I don't like the jersey. I wish that it was anybody else. I'm still wishing for them to lose, but it's an amazing story. And as much as I w- wish that they have zero success, I mean, you and has fans and that team should be proud because um, they've done what a lot of people have thought has been unthinkable. And even though that, and, and let's, let's move into this here and I'll, I'll let you, let you start off on this one. So uh, the narrative that the North division teams cannot play the, the U S teams is so much bullshit. And you and I talked about this all year long. I mean, John Scott was one of the big proponents saying any of these teams is going to go down south and get smacked. Yeah, well, guess what? Habs are one win away from the Stanley Cup final, and it's not like it's a three-three; they're up three-two. Um, and 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 I don't want. And again, as I said last week or two weeks ago, um, I don't want to bring. I don't want to talk about Leafs. Like we're talking Habs, but in my opinion, I mean, Leafs are up three-one. I think that if you can perform against the Habs, you can perform against anybody because the Habs have pretty well shown that hey, we can go and win. Habs proved they were the better team. They went down and smacked. Sorry, they went up, smacked Winnipeg, and then they've gone down. And not only have they um, played at at par with Vegas, they've absolutely outplayed them. Last game, Vegas did not know, did not like they had no idea what they were doing. They didn't show up to play in a completely packed barn, mind you. Like Habs still have twenty five hundred fans in the stands, and you're playing in front of a packed barn in Vegas. Like this narrative that the North can't compete, it's gone. It's got to be. Oh, even if Montreal loses in seven now, it's gone. Montreal deserves to be up 3-2 in the series. They've been the better team in three of the five games. I mean, games three and four probably should have been swapped. Montreal was the better team in game four. Vegas was much better in game three. Goalies kind of stole the show in each game. But Montreal, it deserves to be up 3-2. They've been the better team in this series. And that's the thing. is I didn't actually think they were going to be able to compete with Vegas the way they are. But they're just playing this game plan. And it's not, I'm tired of this narrative of, oh, they're getting lucky and Carey Price is standing on his head. That's not it at all. Watch Nick Suzuki right now. The guy had three points last night. Cole Caulfield's playing out of his mind. Deneau somehow might be like up for a con Smythe with having like next to no points. Since game four against the Leafs until last game, nobody had scored five on five against that line. That's how good Deneau has been against top players he's been unreal against like mark stone the guy did finish sixth in selkie voting again he's always there he's just so underlooked and that's part of the narrative for why montreal's doing so good is Deneau's just shutting down everybody he's being he's been so good and this team it's just come together i mean they looked super dominant for 10 games at the start of the year they got unhealthy there was some tough breaks they made a lot of turnovers there was a lot of excuses and they didn't play good but now they're starting to look like that structure and that team who played at the start of the year, they're proving that everyone's stepping up. I mean, you see Kotkaniemi's now sixth all time for goals in the playoffs before turning 21. You got Suzuki's now got 20 points in 26 career playoff games. And he's 21. Caulfield, just every time he's on the ice, he's making a play. He looks dangerous. 
and you saw he's like Leonard's thinking about in game planning to him. So what does he do the next game? He doesn't go high or go five hole. He goes low off the post and in and scores on flurry. Like this team's just fun. They're playing such a good style. And yeah, the whole thought of the North is crap. It's clearly over. I mean, I thought they'd be able to beat some of the East teams pretty easy. I didn't know if they'd be able to compete with Vegas or Colorado, but they are. And not only are they competing, they got a good chance to win this series. They're coming home with a chance to go to the Stanley Cup Finals. And yeah, I'm just... So the narrative of the North is gone, and I really think this narrative of Montreal's no good, they're lucky and it's goaltending, needs to be over. This team's good. They're playing great. And that's that's just it. I mean, the one thing uh, I want to mention too, right, is, is that it's, it's never the team that's on paper that is the most skilled. I mean, Tampa last year, whatever. Like, you can go over that or Pitt from a couple of years ago. But, like, when the LA Kings won the, the Cup, what was it? Like, uh, ooh, I don't even know, 10 years ago, 8 years ago, whatever it was. Um, they were the 8th seed. They were down 3 nothing to the Sharks. Joe Thornton, Patrick Marlowe, Sharks, by the way. Uh, but, like, they, and they, they came back and won the Cup. They got hot. Quick got hot. Um, that team on paper was not the best team. But they gelled at the right time. They got that momentum rolling, and that can't be understated. Like you, like like absolutely any team. And this is this is the beautiful thing um, about the NHL. And and I want to get into the. We're going to get into the NBA a little bit more. Uh, I I just think this has been an unbelievable year for the playoffs. As disappointed as I am um, that it's not the Leafs that are in this position, um, I I just think that this playoffs has been amazing for the entire NHL. I just think it really has. I mean, other than Tampa um, doing their thing, $18 million over the cap, which will, I'm, I, I want to talk about again because it just pisses me off to no end. Um, but it, it's, it's just been so unreal. Like it really, it really, really has. And as I said, I, I hope, I hope the Habs lose and it's no offense to you and it's no offense to, to Hab nation. I'm sorry if you're a Hab fan, it's just, I, I have to say, I, I, as I have to say that, there's if if I don't say that, then you might as well take away my leaf badge and and I can't cheer for that team. I love the LA comparison because LA after winning that cup won a couple uh, in a couple years later than that. And I'm watching this Montreal team. They don't seem like a one off like kind of Dallas was last year. When you're seeing guys like Suzuki and Caulfield, Kakaniemi, some of these guys, you're like, this could be a team who could do it again and who's going to be better next year. I don't think anyone's going to. They're not going to be the last seed in the playoffs next year. I don't see that happening if they can stay healthy. And you're just kind of seeing a really good core here. I mean, we've got three of our top players in the playoffs are under 21 right now. And then you got a guy like Toffoli who signed for a great contract for four years. And they still haven't had Drouin, who's super young. Anderson's young. You just see a lot of – and that's where I like the L.A. comparison. I don't think this is a one-off team. Yeah, they're maybe punching a little above their grade and doing really well this playoffs. But I think they could be in L.A. or St. Louis where nobody's going to want to play them for a couple of years where it's not going to be like Dallas from last year where they didn't even come close to making the playoffs really at the end. Does the success of the Habs this year change the narrative of what a successful team, like what, what a team has to be successful to be in the playoffs? Because, you know, you, you talk – like. Look at the again. Leafs as an example. They they want they wanted they wanted to go with skill. They tried to bring in some grit guys and it just didn't work. And you've got teams uh, like Colorado, super high firing, super good. Couldn't get it done. 
Um, and then you've got Montreal, who, you know, again, underdog team, but they just filled it with so many depth pieces that just gelled at the right time. Does it change the narrative of like what you need to be successful? As physical as they are, they're not the biggest team. They don't have a bunch of bruisers out there. They've got a stud goalie, good defense, and then they just got decent depth throughout the whole lineup. Like there's no really weak point. So does that change the narrative of what you need to do to be successful? Well, I think you're learning with like all these top four teams who are left here that depth at D and size at D is important. All four teams, like we've kind of discussed it, like a Morgan Riley, although he's a top two D and like a power play guy and stuff like that, he might not even fit into the top four on any of these four teams left. Like you look at Tampa right now, and I know whatever with their cap situation, but we'll, they get, we'll get there. And we'll get there. David Savard on their third line. So it's like, where would you fit a guy like Riley? And I think, and all four teams are kind of built like that. Like their back ends tough to play against hard to play against the games get tighter in the playoffs. That always changes. The referee is a whole nother question, but I don't think it's been crazy over the top either way. Like Montreal's definitely got the tough end of the stick when it have shown some of these stats, especially with Chris Lee, who better not see another game this playoffs. Yep. But I think that's it. And I mean, with Montreal this year, the big difference from them in the past years of Montreal, like the 2010 or 2014, you look at that second line and that's just crazy skill. Like you've seen these plays by Suzuki and Caulfield and Toffoli. That's a ton of skill on that line, which they haven't had. They've always kind of had four good lines who can play good defensively, play a 200 foot. And that's about it. So I guess, and we're getting massive impact from Eric Stahl and Corey Perry, who are Stanley cup proven winners. Well, and that's the thing, right? Is is yeah. I mean, the 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 depth is like those, those guys that they brought in um, were great pickups. I mean, they really were. And you, even you, you questioned bringing Eric Stahl wasn't good. He's been good in the playoffs. I mean, Corey Perry, in my opinion, was a great pickup. Uh, but Eric Stahl was like, you're like, you, you were like, yeah, I don't know. Like, I can't believe he's in the lineup, and he's he's played well. Let me ask you this: um, the Hashtag Fire Bergevin was trending. I think it was last year. Um, with this run, like, has he locked himself up with the Habs for the next couple of years? No, oh, he has to. He's going to get extended here. And I mean, I still think it's a silly. I can't believe it. Lou won the GM of the year again. Yeah. It wasn't Bergevin. So no. it's voted on after the second round. Lou's team made it to the semis last year. I don't know what he did to that roster to get GM again. Like you look at it, like Bergevin, he brought in Anderson, he brought in Perry, he brought in Toffoli. Like he made a bunch of major changes to this roster to get them to where they are. So to me, it didn't make much sense that Lou won the award for the second straight year. It's like, how do you win coach of the year two straight years unless you do something crazy? And I don't think what New York did was crazy this year. So to me, that seemed odd. But yeah, he's locked himself up for a couple years here. These moves he made, clearly he kept saying it before the year he was like this team wasn't made for the high flying north they were made for playoffs and how do you argue that you can't so i think i think part of the thing is too is i mean again like humor me for a second in my leaf nation head where it's so funny to me that they i mean how can you not take it as a slap in the face when lose one a second year in a row um I mean, I wonder how many of the voters actually just did it to fuck with the Leafs. Like, I, it, I wouldn't shock me, honestly. It really wouldn't. Um, and there was comments going around about how, like, you know, whatever the Leafs would be better off with Lou and all this different kind of shit. And I'm like, man, I just, I cannot, like, I, I don't know. I, it just bothers me because, like, 
if if the Leafs win a playoff round, I don't give a crap. Like, would Lou have got him to a playoff round? I have no idea. They're like, well, he wouldn't have signed guys the contracts. I you have to sign guys the contracts. I don't know what you want. Like, I, I don't know what you want Kyle Dubas to do. Like, you're not letting your best players walk off the team because you're not – from an RFA standpoint. Like, I don't know. I just, I just think it's ridiculous. I wouldn't be surprised if he got voted in for that. Uh, frankly, Bergevin, I agree, has done a better job. I mean, it's pretty obvious. And, um, I mean, I think that's a good – well, actually, before we move into the Tampa Islander series, I just want to talk briefly, briefly, briefly about the refereeing in this Vegas – and Montreal series, and, and I'll kick this one off first, and then I'll let you take over. So, um, after game four, it just it just blew up on Twitter. Like, every hockey pundit in the world was talking about how, like, you got to call the game. Like, Suzuki's getting punched in the face right in front of an official. He's, he's standing there doing nothing. And it wasn't like it was like a roughing, like face wash. Like it, he he got legit punched in the face. Like it it was an obvious roughing. Um, and and yeah, like I I just I it, like and I I have to agree with all the all the hockey guys. It's like I I I would rather you call everything than call than than have discretionary, because the problem is is like in a sense it's the same as a cop right like cops if you see a guy speeding on the road going 130 you can give him 115 right you can knock it down um but it's more so along the lines of like if you see a guy commit murder in front of a cop he's like meh i'll let it go like you just can't like or, or like a guy on the street punches another guy in the face the cop's just like eh, whatever it's not bad they're both do-. like no like that doesn't happen i don't know why like why bother having a rule book then Seriously, like, like, just don't bother using it. I, I don't get it. Like, I, I would, as a hockey fan, I would rather, I would way prefer, and I'm sure the players would as well, that there's consistency throughout the year. I mean, it's, it's very well known by the hockey code that, oh, the rule books get tightened, you know, it gets tighter in the playoffs. Yeah, but it's stupid because then what happens if one ref tries to control the game and either calls a bunch on one team and or doesn't call any not something on anybody and guys are getting hurt like i just it's just ridiculous just call the rules it's that simple yeah i mean i kind of understand the whole playoffs is slightly different because i don't want to see these chintzy calls that you see like especially early in the regular season and playoff time make a difference but there is still a line and there's still player safety and that's what this series has gotten to so it really started with game 3 both the same refs did game 3 and 4 Corey Perry got like whacked in the face, had 14 stitches, I believe in his face and all four officials missed it. It was a double minor. So the linesman could have called it all four of them missed it. So then we go into game four and it kind of all started. Weber got hit from behind pretty bad. He looked at the ref ref was looking right at him. He's like, you're not going to call that. So he went and just cross checked the guy and started punching him in the face. And he's like, Oh, you're not going to call this clearly either. So then a little later, uh, Edmondson kind of got cross-checked and then he crushed the Vegas player from behind and that needed to be a penalty. And that's one against Montreal for sure. And they didn't call either of those. So again, now you're just losing control of the game. And then Suzuki gets in and gets knocked down. So he gets up, didn't have a stick, gave a little push, but then he gets a really good punch to the face for the second straight game by McNabb. He's getting punched in the face and Chris Lee not only just looks at Suzuki, he actually looks away right as it happens. And it's like, you've just lost control of the game now. These things need to be called. Now guys are like, where's this line? And then what do they call? First penalty of the game? A guy going across the blue line, Suzuki barely taps the elbow with his stick. Yeah, no, we got to call that one though. 
So you're letting guys crush guys from behind, like Edmondson and the Vegas guy did to Weber. And you're not, and you're going to call this little tiny hook now that's not on a scoring chance, not a safety concern. I just don't understand it. It's like you're going to let murder go, and then you're going to call this chintzy little hook that didn't impact the player and make a difference. Like, I had no idea where the lines were. I mean, I, it slightly hurt Montreal, especially considering Vegas's power play is terrible. Montreal's is really good. And so not calling penalties or letting it all go is really helping Vegas. So, yeah, it's just it's terrible roughing. They lost control of these games, and I don't think they'll see another game for these playoffs, or I'd be shocked if they do. Chris Lee is terrible. Now, I wonder if – now, part of the problem is is that Wes McCauley is um, is injured. So, in my opinion, he's the best referee in the league. I mean, I like him. I don't know, actually know about statistics. I mean, I know in the – like, for example, in Major League Baseball, they actually have um, about pitchers that – or, sorry, umpires that – you know, they have stats on like um, missed, you know, missed calls, um, you know, runs affected. Like they have a bunch of statistics in terms of, of umpiring. How, I, I just, I don't get how they don't have that in the NHL. And like, like I have ref hockey before. You have ref hockey more recently. Um, any game that I did where a supervisor was there, like, heck, if I screwed up an offside, I got, I got told about it. Like how, how are, how, how are the, how is the NHL like officiating supervisor not being like, bro, like, what are you doing? Yeah, there's clearly a bigger issue in the NHL here. Game five was reffed much better. Two different officials who sound like they're going to be doing game six as well. They reffed a good game. And as a referee who's been reffing for quite a few years now, when it comes to playoff time, you kind of, you do tighten up a bit. You're not going to call hooks through the neutral zone that don't impact the play. You're not going to do that. But there's two things you look at. Is it a scoring chance and is it safety? And there was a lot of safety calls that those guys missed. And that's when guys are going to start losing it and cross the line and not know where that line is anymore. And I mean, they were talking to Kerry Frazier on the Spit and Chicklets podcast, who's a longtime NHL official. I mean, these fans hate him for missing the fucking miss the high stick. This guy, I don't trust a word this guy says. He's still he's staring right at it. Piece of shit. But he was trying to compare the entire NHL referees to like a hockey team. So if things aren't going well, first thing they do is look at the players. Then if things still don't go well, they look at the coaches. And then they start looking at the GM and working their way, and they'll fire these people. So the NHL's had lots of different referees now. They've had a couple different supervisors, but the director of officiating hasn't changed. He's still that old-school guy. So Kerry Frazier's comments is, is we need to keep going further. If the refereeing's going to be this bad, and we thought it was bad all regular season, yes, it's not improved at all and it might have actually got worse in the playoffs so we got to move further like the referees there's been they're trying a bunch of different referees it's not like there's only two in the nhl so maybe we got to look at the supervisors and if not we got to look at this director of refereeing and start at the top you got to work your way down there seems to be a bigger issue than just the two guys who go out there every night yeah there's definitely some better officials and some worse officials but i think you got to go above them at this point how uh yeah, I don't know. Like, I just, I just don't get. I don't. I just don't get how like this series, Vegas Montreal, is worse than the Toronto series because we both thought the officiating in the Toronto and Montreal series was bad, and this is infinitely worse. Like, infinitely yeah. worse. Could you imagine if the Habs were down three two? How pissed you'd be? Yeah, I mean, it's it, it's 
been outrageous and I would be upset. And it's just crazy to look at it. Like, I don't know how much you've watched Braden McNabb this playoffs. He's now punched Suzuki twice in the face this series. He has zero penalty minutes the entire playoffs. The guy's also thrown some massive hits. Weber, on the other hand, has 26. I yep. mean, Weber's definitely plays that line, but I don't think it's 26 more minutes than McNabb does watching the games. So, like, I don't know what he has and how he hasn't avoided a penalty, how he's avoided every penalty, but it's it's a little ridiculous, especially in this series now. Like, Suzuki's not even like a Josh Anderson or a Brandon Gallagher where he's getting in your face and bugging you all the time. Suzuki doesn't do that, and you've now punched him twice in the face in this series. Well, like, I mean, he like when he got punched in the face in game five, he pushed him, but that doesn't, like, I mean, you want to talk about scrums. Like, you push a guy in a scrum, that happens literally every single scrum. Just because you pu- push a guy doesn't mean you get punched in the face. Like, I don't know. It's ridiculous, but I don't want to dwell on that the whole time. Um, I do want to uh, transition into the Tampa Islanders series, and Tampa just ran over the Islanders in game five. Um, man, like a freight train coming through. I'm saving my Tampa take for the end. I'm going to keep banging this drum. But, man, 8 nothing in Game 5. Series is 3-2 Tampa, and they got Game 6 going the night with Tampa, a chance to close it out. Um, I find it hilarious that Lou Lamorello won GM of the year and that his team, like, the, like, the game before gets absolutely schmucked on the ice. The one thing about this whole 8 nothing thing is you hear from a lot of NHLers, especially ones who have had deep playoff runs, They'd rather lose 8 nothing in Game 5 than lose a double overtime heartbreak. The 8 nothing, you're like, okay, we did nothing right. Let's move on, forget about it. Like, it's gone, it's done with. You lose a double overtime heartbreaker and you're like, man, we were right there, it was so close. Like, what can we really do different? So there's a lot of people who actually think like an 8 nothing loss is actually kind of better. It's just like, it was a complete anomaly. Like, nothing like it. I mean, it's nothing, nothing right now halfway through the first, so... It's kind of interesting, but yeah, they got smacked. And I mean, you just, this Tampa skill, especially if you give them power plays, they had six power plays last game. They're going to score. This power play is ridiculous. It's like the Harlem Globetrotters out there. And I mean, yeah, we've talked about this Tampa team multiple times. They've got great contracts. They're slightly over the cap. And, but slightly, slightly over the cap, slightly over the cap. You're funny. You're a funny guy. But yeah, there's their, their skill on this team is undeniable, and the Islanders got out of their game plan. And if they get out of their game plan at all, they're going to get killed by this Tampa team, and that's what happened. So the Islanders, I expect actually a pretty big night tonight. This could be the last game in Nassau Coliseum ever. If they lose tonight, it's over forever. If they lose next game, then never another hockey game is never being played there. So I expect them to come out big tonight. I wouldn't be surprised if this is going seven, but the Islanders are losing this series. They're not winning in seven. This. It would shock me. I mean, they can get a massive game from whoever they got in net, but yeah, Tampa just showed that their skills too much for this Islanders team. Okay, so before we like the last little bit that I want to talk to you about or talk about just in terms of cap stuff, we had a conversation. Do you want to give me the set? Actually, yeah. Do you want to give me the stat that you gave me about? Um, I think you said it was a ten and a half million dollar contract, and what that looks like in like Toronto as opposed to Tampa was it ten and a half million or was it eleven? Yeah, ten and a half million dollar contract in Toronto versus Tampa. 
due to escrow federal tax. I know there's no state tax in Tampa, but the U.S. still has federal tax yep. and stuff like that and everything else that goes on. A Toronto player pulls home 5.5 and a Tampa player pulls home 6.75. So they do get quite a bit of savings. But at the same point, my argument against this, I'm before I'm not even going to cut you off before you can step in. Braden Point makes 6.75. Mitch Marner makes what, 10 and a half? Yep. That is still way more than 15 to 20% more. And he is it not is. 15. He's not double the player Braden Point. So these Correct. guys are taking better contracts anyways. Yes, they are. Um, but this is where I'm going. So like you were arguing to me and I, I, I threw some percentages back at you that if you, and, and, and we can talk about endorsements till we're blue in the face, but you know, if you're a, if you're a top tier player, you're going to get endorsements no matter where you are. If you're a bottom tier player, again, you're not getting endorsements anywhere. Like Travis Dermott's not getting shit in terms of endorsements. Um, Justin Hall is not getting shit in terms of endorsements. Um, but the, the math that I basically ran is is that Tampa guy Tampa basically is twenty two percent more cap dollars than Toronto, so six seven five over five and a half is twenty two percent. So in that comparison, on an eighty two million flat cap, Toronto should be a hundred million when it comes when you extend it out. That's ridiculous. But do you know what a hundred million equals in terms of cap space over eighty two? Do the math on that. Like it's the straight math. 18. Yeah. yeah. How much is Tampa over the cap right now? 17, but realistically like 10 or 11. Yeah. Well, pretty darn close to 18. So not only, not only are they 18 mil better cap wise than, than Toronto, which is one of the highest tax teams. And this applies to Montreal too, because Montreal has a brutal, like their tax is brutal in Montreal. Um, like not only are the 18 million better cap wise, they're also 18 million over the cap. So they actually, in essence, even if they're 10, they're still 20, they got $28 million of like, like in that scenario, better than Toronto or Montreal. That's fucking ridiculous. Like, I'm sorry. It's just Toronto was, Toronto was close to 6 million over the cap at the end of the year too. Well, that's fine. So then they're 20, there's, then they're still 22 million better. If you want to look at it from that percentage point, it's, it's the, the point I'm like, again, this is the drum that I'm banging here. It's, it's ridiculous. Like this flat cap bolt, it, it is bullshit. It really is. And you can, you can talk to me about endorsements. You can talk to me about shit. Guess what? None of that is included in terms of the CBA and none of that is, is, is included in, um, the, uh, cap average, like your, your, your AAV. None of that, that is not taken state or federal tax. So yeah, well it kind of is though, because it's still like, that is something that's a constant across, like everybody has to pay federal tax. Everybody has to. So you, yeah, you're right. It's, it's like, look at a guy like, Mitch Marner, if he's playing in Tampa, he's making millions less in endorsements. Oh, I millions. disagree. I disagree. Why? Why would it? Why would a team not like absolutely? Nobody, you're t- if you're in, if you're in Tampa Bay, nobody knows who Nikita Kucherov is if he's walking around downtown. No, but it doesn't nobody. matter about that. But no, because if you yes, no, 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 let's fight about it. Because here's the he's thing: he's in zero commercials when you're in Florida. Bro, he's not Stam- on any TV. Stamkos gets paid Canadian endorsements. He does. He was a Canadian tire commercials and other shit. Mitch Marner is. That's what I no, but he, absolutely Canadian guys. If you're a high profile, like Sidney Crosby, for example, is making a ton of Canadian endorsements, a ton. 
So I don't want to hear yeah, this shit is. about about no, like good 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 players don't get no, they do absolutely they do. You know why Nikita Kucherov doesn't get it? You you can say that it's it's countryist or or whatever you want to say. It's the fact that he's fucking Russian. That's why he doesn't get caught. That he doesn't get endorsements. Not because he plays at Tampa. If his name was these John guys, Smith and he was from Mississauga, he would. These guys are getting more endorsements playing for Toronto or Montreal than they would anywhere else. It's not even close. I, it's I, not even in the. Yeah, but like you're bringing up, you're bringing up like the worst guy ever. Like, why would you say Nikita Kucherov? Give me another one. Like, who, who's the best player? Who's a Canadian guy who's a good player who doesn't get endorsements? Like I, McKinnon's in general compared to like Marner. McKinnon was literally in a Tim Hortons commercial last year with Sid. Yes, it's, but he's still in comparison to like you see Marner and Matthews everywhere. When like, I have not play, I have not seen Matthews in a commercial in Canada ever. Have you? Which yes. one was he in? Well, I mean, they're even talking about him in the Tim Hortons. He's their guy who gets all the money for the stick, and he gets the endorsement. McKinnon's to have in that stick. commercial too. It's. <laughs> Like you go around Toronto, his billboards are everywhere. You see him at everything. Like, you it's can, not the same. Okay, you can you can have him as like a spokesperson for the team, but that doesn't mean shit. Like Mitch Marner has, yeah, he has his intact insurance thing. That's his main bit. That's the one that I've seen him in the most. But like, there's nobody else on the Leafs that is like, like you don't see what what is John Tavares in. He had that what was that one commercial that he did for whatever that company was where he was sleeping at center ice. That's the last one that I saw him do. And that was in his first year. I haven't seen him since. But even like Zach Hyman's in like he like multiple car dealerships. I think he's on some uh, television thing too as well. He's getting a ton of endorsements. He's going to get nothing in Tampa. So it's it's a stupid argument. I just think the way Tampa's done the cap with Kucherov, I get the argument. But you can't do this whole tax thing, endorsements thing at all like there's so, so many 18 million. Just... So like, eight, okay. So 18 million difference is, is stupid. Why, why would it not be eight? Why, give it half then because it's not equitable across the board. It's not no, it's like just, you, the, you can't, it's not though. But then we want to, so you're going to put cost of living in there then too. Cost of living in any major NHL city is ridiculous. U.S. real estate is worse than Canadian real estate go to, right now. Go to Arizona. It is not ridiculous. Okay, fine. And Arizona. They have no tax. You go to L.A. It's and Vancouver. It's by far the worst. Right. But let's be honest here, though. You could choose to live in a different place and commute. Or actually, how about this? How about the teams are allowed to... <laughs> have, you how, seen, have you seen L.A.? You can't commute anywhere. How about this? How about the teams are allowed to then have team team housing? Why not? Some of them do because that's what they need to do because cost of living is too high. They live in condos together. They do that stuff. Right. So great. But so then do that. If you're going to get I, into just, all that, if you're going to get into taxes and everything, you have to get into everything. And I just don't think you well, can then do, do it ever. Well, then do it because it's not fair. It's not. It's it's just, it's just not. And like you, like if the, the thing about this camp, could, could you imagine how good the Habs would be if you had $10 million more of cap? Yeah, but they shouldn't get that. No team should get $10 million more in cap. It's 82 it's a to 100. Argument. 22%. As a Leafs fan, you just need to shut up about the entire thing. You look at a guy like Mitch Marner. He's choosing way more percentage than point. Even if you calculate in all this shit, they took back. They worked Dubas to take contracts. Lou and Iserman didn't let that. They let Duran not play. They were letting these guys not play. Sergachev, like they don't care. They don't care about these guys playing. 
Dubas didn't have the balls to do it. That's why the Leafs are screwed. Stop bringing up this whole state tax thing. That's not the reason. These guys took way less than even the percentage of state tax. So blame your GM. It's still 22%. I'm sorry. I can't get over it. Still 22%. And the, at some point, it's it's got to get looked at because I'm not the only one bitching about this either. I'm not. Like, there's other people talking about it. And the other thing is, too, like, we can... Yeah, Leafs media and Leafs fans. No, get out of here. Okay, let's transition. Because you signed else. three guys over $10 million because you didn't know how to manage a cap. That's on them. Like, you, it's stupid. Like, Mitch Marner isn't comparable to the guys who make $10.5 million. He's comparable to Braden Point or... He's not even comparable to McKinnon. These guys sign less, and they said they're going to sign less again. These guys did not want well, to McKinnon sign less did. to play in Toronto. McKinnon Yeah, did. and he said he's going to sign less again. Yeah. So, yeah, these guys in Toronto, they just wanted their money, and now they're not showing up, and now Leafs fans are bitter. Oh, they're definitely not showing up. I mean, I mean that's that's a story and a half on its own. Um, so the one narrative that I actually find is interesting, though, is is that let's let's talk about this, is that I hope that Tampa wins the cup because I think that then changes the injured reserve salary cap issue. So whether they're $10 million over, whether it's whatever, whatever the number actually is and just in terms of what it is, because they did shady shit with Kucherov. And by the way, the Leafs have done shady shit with cap in the, in the past as well. Like I'm not denying that hasn't been the case. Um, like, no, I agree. This is where I think the bigger issue in the NHL is teams like this and Vegas dressing like 14 skaters for yeah, come games on. and stuff. There's it's way stupid. bigger issues with this. So, yeah. like, I think that if Tampa wins, the, this is why I want Tampa to win the cup. Because if Tampa wins the cup, this becomes a major issue. That then, then the NHL has to look at it and say, okay, uh, this team is, quote unquote, $18 million over the cap. Whether it's 10, whether it's 12, whatever the case is, they're $18 million over the cap. And they won the Stanley Cup. If they lose, then the NHL can be like, oh, well, it doesn't fucking matter. See, like a team like the Habs, where they're right on the cap or a hundred grand over or whatever they are, yeah, see, they can do it. So then it doesn't matter. Like this makes the league fair. So Tampa better fucking win the cup because this needs to get fixed quick. It's garbage. It's absolute garbage. Kucherov could have played two or three months ago. And I like my other question, Cam, is I'm so fired up about this whole thing. Like, ah, fuck's sakes. Okay, so Kucherov, um, who are these independent doctors? Like, name me names because this is bullshit. I like who is this league independent doctor that's like, yeah, you can't play, bud, and he's good for a game. One of the like, come on, who are these guys? Yeah, it all comes down to when they're game ready. And the only argument about the whole Kucherov injury is, I know it for sure looked like he could have played a month ago is that is the timeline for that injury across all sports. That's been the timeline for the injury. I think, yeah, they need to look into this more. And I think it's coming up as a bigger statement. And I mean, it's allowed in the NHL. So goodbye, Tampa. It's allowed. It shouldn't be. And we need to do something more about it. And that's, yeah. Like when it comes to these doctors, I know they said they brought in independent doctors. I don't know if they get that serious when it comes to a guy like Kucherov. I think it's more like the guys who retire, like a Gabarik, a Hosa, yeah. where they really want to check these guys. Robota Island, Joffrey Lupul. Yeah. Make sure these guys are actually can't continue to play in the NHL. I don't know if they quite get that serious for guys who are just off because that was the timeline for that hip injury. That hip surgery usually does take that long. Again, you look at guys like McDavid, the way he's recovered with the documentary and stuff. These guys recover. Elite athletes recover quicker than this hip injury, especially elite, elite athletes like a They got money. They got money to do it. Yeah. T- time time to do elite. it. 
he's elite elite athlete, so he can recover quicker. So yeah, I think there needs to be some sort of look into this at the end of the year. And there's no, like we've seen it everywhere. I mean, Vegas had to finagle it so much. They were dressing less skaters than you should be. You were watching like Anderson. He definitely probably could have played for the Leafs a couple weeks earlier, but they didn't really want him. And then they had to do stuff with Sandine too. Like you're seeing it on all these teams. These are just the three that we talk about quite a bit. So that's why they're coming up. I know there's more teams who do it. But yeah, something needs to be done about it. And even the Habs came in. I think they were like $900,000 over the cap at the end of the season. So every team's doing it and something needs to be done about it. There shouldn't, you shouldn't be able to do it this way. And yeah, especially with these long injuries. I mean, the thing is, is my only defense to Tampa, you still have to make the playoffs. You still have to get that. You do. If they don't make the playoffs, like you take away some, a lot of these top players. So that's where Tampa's done a lot of things really right in an organization is they can make the playoffs without their best player. And without Stamkos for times, too. That's how deep and strong and how good they've drafted and signed guys for really good contracts. So I'll give them that argument and benefit of the doubt. But, yeah, there needs to be something done when it comes to this. Because I look at a team like Edmonton. McDavid's down for the year. You save that his whatever crazy contract. They're not making the playoffs. So it doesn't no. matter. Toronto, without Matthews, probably not making the playoffs. We could argue they'd be a late seed, but... That's where you got to give Tampa a little bit of credit. They were still able to make the playoffs quite handily. and But, yeah, I, I agree. There needs to be something looked into it. I'll refute the Tampa thing only because their division sucked. Like well, I have heard this argument from a buddy of ours, friend of the show, Nate, who talks about, well, Tampa didn't have Cooch, blah, blah, blah. Their division sucked. Like, sucked bad. I'm sorry, Columbus, Detroit, Chicago, um, Dallas was there. Uh, Nashville got into the playoffs. Like these are bad. Like Dallas, okay, probably should have got into the playoffs. They got re- like crushed with COVID. Nashville was a bad team. Chicago was a bad team. They were good early, but bad team. Detroit was awful. Columbus was awful. Like if Tampa did, like, Tampa could have got in with half their lineup. Like the, the, the their team is so the other teams are bad. That's my only counter argument to that. I think in a normal season, yes, I would agree. Um, but in this division, man, holy shit, that was that's just brutal. But overall, like, yeah, I I I support, and this goes back to the NFL as well. I'll tie that in, right? With I hate how you can defer contracts, you can restructure contracts. I think that's fucking stupid. Um, I think that in the MLB, I think that having luxury tax where teams like the Yankees can just spend infinite amount of money, I think that's kind of stupid because it takes away the competitive edge. And likewise, I think that this flat cap, like either you have a flat cap or you don't have a flat cap. It's one or the other. So like, don't tout that. Oh, we, you know, we've got a flat cap. It keeps it competitive, blah, blah, blah. When it's really not a flat cap. So either make it a flat cap or don't make it a flat cap. And when I say flat cap, I mean, it's 82 million throughout the season. It's 82 million through the playoffs. Like the fact that salary cap goes out the door in the playoffs is stupid. It's it's so dumb. I just I can't deal with it. So then, like I, I don't care what you do. Do something, like keep it flat. Like by the way, having this flat cap would actually probably hurt the Leafs more than it would help us. But just for consistency, like by God, just make it the same. Do something. I don't know. I don't. I don't have a solution necessarily. Like I mean, my only solution is is just say, hey, okay, it's eighty two mil. If you're over 82 mil, then you got to dump a player and they can't play. Like you have to ice an $82 million lineup every single game in the playoffs. That's fine. 
I'm good with that. Um, or you can say, all right, so the cap's $82 million uh, based upon revenue, but we will give an allowance of, we'll do a luxury tax up to 90. Then do that. I don't care. And yeah, there's teams that aren't going to be able to afford that, but you know there's teams that will be, and you have to pay more than ninety million dollars. Like you get, if you get eight million dollars in extra cap space, you got to pay like twenty five, or something ridiculous. Like make it super expensive that you have to do that because then you're not going to run into this bullshit. And that money that gets taken away in luxury tax can help other teams or give other teams cash, and they're not going to complain about ten million, fifteen million dollars, especially if they're that strapped. Yeah I, yeah, I don't know the solution around it because that's the issue you have in baseball when they have this crazy luxury tax. And it's actually gotten quite crazy, the percentages. But you get a team like the Yankees, the Red Sox, even the Jays are probably going to pay up to it for these couple of years. They have to go up to it or go for it and stuff. But you'll get teams like Oakland who will just never really compete. And do we really want that? Like, I don't want it. Like, you might as well make the league 10 teams less if we're going to get to that point. Like, Arizona's never going to spend. Ottawa is probably never going to spend because their owner's cheap. Like these teams are always near the cap floor, and then you kind of ruin ruin it a little bit to the competitive and the balance. And I think having thirty two teams who can realistically win every year is way more exciting, and it's good for the game in general. There's not that much fun when you get teams who can't compete ever. Like watching some of this, like soccer and stuff. Like they needed less teams in Euro. There's teams who deserve not to be there, and it's kind of stupid. It's just a waste of it's a waste of ninety minutes, basically. So I don't think you ever want to get there in the NHL, especially with the way the hockey is and the amount of skill that's in the game now, where all four lines on most teams can play hockey. It's not like the old days. I don't really have a solution, but yeah, I think something needs to be done. So it's it's a weird position. We'll have to let the league figure that out. Um, but I do want to uh, transition into the Euro Cup. There's a couple things I want to talk about. So I'm, I'm not the biggest football fan. And when I say football, I mean soccer. But we're going to go with the lingo that the rest of the world will understand because uh, apparently we're dumb in North America. Uh, number one thing I want to talk about was Christian Eriksen. Uh, basically, right at the start of the Euro Cup, Danish, uh, Danish soccer player, football player, uh, collapsed on the pitch. Um, he was unresponsive. They couldn't, uh, he was basically, his coach had basically said that he was gone. They performed CPR. Uh, they had a, uh, AD that came out and revived him. He was good to go. So I just wanted to comment, like it's, it's so good nowadays. And there's been so many instances of people collapsing in sports that it's been so good now that, um, ADs are available, man. Like it just goes to show that, and like, this is just a call to action for anybody who's involved in sports or if you've got kids involved in sports or whatever the case is that um, learning first aid is no joke and it can save somebody's life. And knowing where an AD is um, can absolutely save somebody's life. It, it can happen to anybody. It's not just pro athletes. It's, it's, you know, it's, it's a dad at a local muni rink. It's, you know, a mother at a soccer field, it's a young ref at a soccer field, it's a player. It doesn't really matter. Um, I, I think that it just shows so much awareness. Um, I think that's the good thing that could come out of this incident is that it just shows that amount of awareness that, Hey, this can happen to anybody it can happen to somebody who's, you know, one of the most fit athletes in the world and, uh, and he's doing well. So all the best to his family, but super scary incident. Yeah. And it was great to see the sportsmanship from uh, Belgium in the next game, kicking the ball out of play at the 10 minute mark to get the minute for him. 
And it's nice to see Denmark actually make it through. They finished second in the group, so they're going to make the uh, round of 16. So it's nice to see they do them do that for him because Finland, I think everyone thought, was going to finish second in that group. So, yeah, I mean, it, there's so many good storylines out of it. The fact that he's doing well and everything that happened is awesome. So it's it's good to see and good to see that. It's happened multiple times. We had, what, Rich Peverly in Dallas who collapsed yep. on the bench and they saved his life too. And it's the fact that we have the doctors and the trainers around these teams who can do this quickly. And I mean, yeah, you're seeing most teams, even in minor hockey have trainers who are AED. Most arenas have them now. So it's super nice to see. And I mean, we can move into some more positives. If you have anything, I don't know how much actual football you've watched so far, Burke. Have you watched any? Yeah, I've watched a bit. I, I, I did want to ask you, do you know where North Macedonia is? I have absolutely no idea. Yo, I, me, bro, there's too many teams playing. Apparently, it's up like by Serbia, but I'm like watching North Macedonia versus like it was Scotland. I'm not sure. I think they were in the same group, but man, Ukraine or Aust- Austria or whatever. I don't, I don't even know. But like, I was like North Macedonia. I thought it was like an Asian. Co- no, it's it's obviously in Europe because it's it's Euro Cup. But like, I looked at it and I was like. North Macadamia, where the hell is that? I like, I have no fucking idea where North Macedonia is. Um, man, the one comment I do want to make about the Euro Cup though is like, Cristiano Ronaldo is so good. It's it's outrageous. Like this guy's age, like he's scored the most goals. Um, and if if my stats is wrong, I apologize. But he's scored the most goals, most international goals for Portugal by a country mile. And he's not young anymore. This guy's what, 36, I think he is? He's now tied for most international goals by a male football player overall, not just for Portugal, by a male. By a male, right. Because Christine St. Clair has a ton yeah. too, right? It's Christine like 74 is, more than Ronaldo. So right. she's still first Number by one. a long shot. Yeah. Chris, so, and shout out to our Canadian girl, Christine St. Clair. She's unbelievable. But, I mean, Ronaldo's <laughs> just ridiculous. Like, this guy is just, and, 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 it's wild because growing up, like he's basically played. Think about this. I think he's 36 or 37. Um, like he's been playing, like I'm 27. So he probably started professional football when, how old is he? He's 10 years older than me. He probably was playing when he was 16. So he's like, he legit has been playing professional football for what, 23 years? Or no, yeah, 21 years? 20, 20, 21 yeah. years? Like it's, it's, it's stupid that he's still the best player in the world. And I, I don't think there's a doubt about it. Now, that being said, I don't know. Portugal's a good team. They have the best player in the world, arguably. Uh, Italy's been unbelievable. They've won, was it 30, 30 straight games in the Euro or something stupid? Um, it, it's, I don't know, man. The, the one thing that I will comment is that Spain almost didn't make it. And our boy Jake, friend of the show, had a uh, had a nice parlay. We even talked about bets recently, just because we, I don't know, it's just it's not really been a betting type of time right away. But uh, our boy Jake had some has some teams to to make it uh, into the round of sixteen, and he had Spain, and Spain was letting them down, but they pulled it through today for him. Shout out to Jake Cowell, friend of the show, part time podcaster. Yeah, so this is some of the issue with Euro. There's one too many teams here. Some of these teams, they're not going to compete. They really shouldn't be here. And then they do this for the World Cup too, where you just end up with stupid draws. Like you have a Group C here that had Netherlands, which is a good team, Austria, Ukraine, and North Macedonia. Then you get the Group 
of death this year, which was France, Germany, Portugal, and Hungary. And you're like, this is just brutal. So now you're going to get a matchup of, because Portugal did finish as one of the top third teams. Now they got to go play the number one ranked Belgium in the round of 16. And you're like, Portugal's better than that. And you look at some of these round of 16 matchups and you're like, this is stupid. Like we have Wales, Denmark, and Italy, Austria, Netherlands, Czech, Belgium, Portugal. Like that one stands out crazy. Like it just doesn't make any sense. Like why why we have this and then we have germany england too who are two of the top teams so sweden ukraine it just having too many teams here in the way that they just draw it randomly just sucks and you get stuck with this now you're going to be losing two really good teams when they probably should be in the round of eight so it's just it's just weird they do this for the world cup too where it's just like almost a complete random draw and not ranked at all one well, and that rank system has been so successful in other leagues as well um, I saw this, it was this thing that was like, oh, well, if England loses like by 10, or I don't know if that's the exact number, but it was a ridiculous number. If they lose by a certain amount, they don't have to play Germany in the first round. And I was like, man, that's so stupid though. Like, how is that? How is that like any fun where that's the scenario? And people were like, well, you want to win every game. It doesn't matter who you play. I agree with that. But it's so stupid that you have to play a top five team in the in the Euro Cup. Like that's just not that's just not fun. Um, the one field good story that I have is Scotland scored their first Euro goal in twenty three years. Uh, man, I <laughs> you, I was talking to a guy. I was in a home inspection the other night, and he's in Italy and overall soccer fan. He was basically saying like, he's like, man. Really open Scotland was good to win. He's like, they're so good defensively. They're just shit on offense. I'm like, shit on offense is an understatement. Like, tw- first goal in 23 years is fucking wild. That is wild. How do you not get, like, a, like a, did, you, did you see the goal in, oh, shit, what was it? The Olympic qualifiers that Canada scored when the uh, they were playing, um, oh, shoot, who did they play? Whatever team that was, the defenseman kicked it back to the goaltender, and he went to kick it, went under his leg, and then he went to kick it again, and it went in the net. But that's just the weird thing about I did see that. But that's just the weird thing about this Euros and soccer in general, or football, or whatever we want to say. England finished first in that group by only scoring two goals the entire tournament. Yeah, which is they scored two, <laughs> let in none. In general, it's one of those sports though, like that is. Uh, and like there's purists, right? Like they're same thing in football. They're like, Oh, I love a good defensive matchup where it's zero, zero. And I'm like, fuck that. I love, this is why I like the MLS so much better. Like MLS, like you look at the MLS cup, it's like four, three, three, two aggregate. It's like six, five, like whatever the case, like to me, that's so much more exciting. And part of that reason is. Yeah. You get Portugal. And meanwhile, in the other group that finished third and they had seven goals for, but they let in six. So, it's just bizarre, and that's soccer for you. And that's where you like when this you, this guy you're talking to says Scotland plays great defensively. No, the bad teams just play defensively and try and allow nothing, and then hope to get a random bounce. <laughs> so that's why they seem good defensively, because they have no offense. So they just basically collapse and hope that they can keep it nil nil or somehow score a random goal. So yeah, I guess that's they're okay defensively, but that's because that's the only game plan they can play to. They couldn't I mean, get into this running gun like <laughs> Germany, Portugal, four two. They'd be screwed. They don't if they went down two nothing, they're done. The game's over. So I mean, that's pretty much what the Islanders do. 
Like they they basically do this. They basically do the same thing. They're like, we're just gonna collapse, clog in the neutral zone. If we win two one, it's a good day. If you score more than three goals, we're fucked. We're never scoring more than three goals. Um, let's uh, let's talk about the U.S. Open. We were gonna do picks last week. We did not. Um, the U.S. Open winner cam, and you're gonna tell me who it was. I know who it was, but you're gonna tell our listeners and us who it was. And this might be. The one guy who I definitely wanted to win, other than Tiger Woods, because this is just such a feel-good story. And this is why, like, the majors every year, no matter what, always provide amazing content, amazing stories. And this one is just so good. Yeah, John Rom ended up pulling it off. And you know what? I'm not a fan of John Rom. But I was actually cheering for him. I was cheering for Mac Hughes first because he's Canadian. Oh, of course. Yeah. But Canadian everything board. that went on with John Rohn from the Memorial, he was up six strokes going into the Sunday, would have easily won that tournament, and he tested positive for COVID. Really unfortunate, but that's the chance he took because he was not vaccinated. And that did come out public. And then you hear some of the stories from this week. Like his parents came over from Spain. They got to meet his first kid. And he couldn't be there for it. And you're hearing stories like that. Like your parents are meeting their grandkid for the first time and you can't be there. And you're just kind of hearing that. Like the regular PGA Tour event that he should have won, whatever. But those are moments that you can never get back and you can never do again. So even me, who's not a big fan of the psychopath John Rahm is, I'm like, it's coming Sunday. I'm like, man, I'm kind of cheering for him and hope he pulls it off. Because it's just a feel-good story. I mean, everything around the whole COVID thing, his kids, his parents being there. And he finally got to see his kid on Father's Day winning a U.S. Open with his dad there and everything. So that's just kind of karma. And you see this so often in sports where just the perfect ending happens and it just seems to happen so often. And that's the thing, right? Like comes off quarantine pretty much right before the U.S. Open. And, yeah, I mean, six-stroke lead, as you said. Like it's um... – you can't script it better. Better wins on Father's Day. He became a father last year. Um, his wife and his baby were there, and he's one of those guys on tour that he's just—he's one of those likable guys. Uh, there's quite a few of them, honestly. Like, I like some people don't like John Rahm. They think that he's whatever. They, they whatever you can call him cocky. I like him. He's got a—he's got a crazy temper. That's why I don't like him. He just loses it occasionally. Tosses clubs. Gets Buddy, angry. I mean, who doesn't? It's fucking golf. Like. I was pissed. Off. I'm pretty even keeled, and I was shooting a decent round, and I got pissed last weekend, which never happens. But, I mean, it happens sometimes. What are you going to do? But, but Yeah, I mean, did you see the whole Mackenzie Hughes thing? I want to touch on that, too. No, I didn't, actually. So Mackenzie Hughes is kind of reeling on Sunday, but he was since contention. At one point, I think there was nine guys tied for the lead, which was making an exciting Sunday. This guy hits a tree, it hits the cart path, and ends up in the tree, stuck in the tree. So the penalty for that is he's got to take it unplayable. So they actually had to get the video cameras to identify his ball. Cause if he can't find his ball, then he's got to go back to the T again. Instead he has to play an unplayable, which then he drops it on the cart path and then has to take free relief. And it was just, it all unfolded there for Mackenzie Hughes. And as a Canadian, you're kind of hoping for him, but like, these are the crazy rules in golf and unfortunate bounces you get. He hits a tree that hits a cart path that ends up in a tree and now you can't play the ball and you got to take a penalty. And and that's just how it goes, man. I mean, like there was talks about, oh, Mackenzie Hughes, he's got a chance to do what the, you know, no Canadian's done since Mike Weir, blah, blah, blah. And that's the shithand that he, 
than it gets. But it was unfortunate. We didn't get to watch much because we were golfing. That's the thing. We I don't know if you watched any Sunday, but. Yeah, I watched a good amount on Sunday. I mean, this U.S. Open to me isn't that interesting. So Torrey Pines, the course where it's at, it's a public track. It's on the coast, and somehow it doesn't have any really memorable holes or great holes. The other issue with Torrey Pines is the Farmers Insurance Opens played there every year. So you're playing a major in an event that there's already another stop at every year, which is kind of lame. And so I really wasn't that interested in watching Torrey. It's not an exciting venue. It's got some great moments because Tiger's always done well there. But, yeah, I got to sit down Sunday, and it got exciting. There was nine guys tied. Bryson and Brooks were tied at one point up on the lead. Everything (laughs) fell apart. But then he saw Bryson shot 44 on the back, which is crazy. And he he said it was bad bounces. Shooting 44 on the back nine of the U.S. Open is not bad bounces. That's just bad golf, Bryson. You did not play good golf. It's not bad bounces. He ended up thinning one out of a bunker so bad that it ended up beside this 12-pack of Stella, which was pretty funny. And, I mean, if you watched any of the – uh, us open there you definitely know who drank that 12 pack as you had the streaker run out and hit some good shots and the last thing i want to touch about the streaker and in general the us open that guy had a swing oh man his action was great <laughs> it was it was oh i it was like if you look at our golf party that went off on the weekend this guy had a better swing than 75 percent of us by far like half in the bag and just absolutely roped it and uh I love the fact that there's streakers at golf events. It just makes it just it made me feel so good because I'm like, ha, the golf, the 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 fancy sport where everybody gets all dressed up and like the oh man, it's it was basically like what's the tournament where people get wasted on 16? Um, Waste management open. So yeah, yeah, and it just had that vibes to it. And like the guy. And by the way, can we just comment? Like, did you see the full video? Yeah. Like the. What was this guy doing? Like, he's like, he throws his club down and then he goes running. You're on a fucking fairway and you run directly into a, like, into a cop. Like, are you stupid? Like, I don't know if his plan was to get caught or whatever he wanted to do, but he, like, like, he cut and he tried to run around the other side and just ran directly into a police officer. Like, you had a hundred yards to run and you ran directly into a cop. Like, might be the worst streaker ever but super entertaining i loved it yeah i mean this is two things to that it was played on a public course so you see drunk guys like that and it's kind of funny and just adds to the whole public course two i think this just adds to everybody being so like quarantined and locked up everyone's like every time we get a chance to be in crowds we're just gonna drink and go crazy because you don't see this in golf usually it's not it's a complete anomaly but to see it now it's just like yeah it's almost expected well, I, yeah, it, it, it should be. I mean, this is the thing. People get, you know, caged up for uh, for that amount of time. You know shenanigans are going to happen. Um, speaking about caged up, I just want to uh, I just want to talk about the Raptors for a second. Uh, Raptors were supposed – they probably had the best odds to get the eighth overall pick in the NBA draft. They move up to number four. And there is four really good players at the top of this draft. Uh, Suggs is one. Mobley's one. Um, there's a guy, Cade, whatever his name is. He's going Cunningham. number one. Cunningham. Yeah, yeah, Cunningham's he's, going number he's one. He's going number one anyway. Um, Suggs was the hero of the N- uh, in the NCAA a couple of times in March Madness this year. Um, 
what position like because this moldy guys is is a big um and Suggs is a guard where do you think the Raptors need to go at four now part of it's going to come down to who's available but well, but no if you if you had a if you had to pick a yeah. position where would you go yeah the other guys Jalen Green we have Jalen Suggs Jalen Green. Green that's right and all four of these guys they say probably were first overall pick last year that's how good these guys are so Cunningham's going first and then, so you're probably down to Jalen, Jalen, or Mowgli. If the, if the Raptors, it's no doubt they want Mowgli to drop to four. I can't see that happening. And then Suggs and Green, both Jalen's there. It'll just be kind of a whatever one drops to them, really. Like, that's the thing at four is it's just whatever drops them. But the interesting thing with the Raptors is with the roster they have, this they could move back and be okay. I know these four guys are elite, but the Raptors have some really good players. If you can get a number two guy yep. to add to your group of like number twos, like OG, Fred, Pascal, like and have a whole group of this, you're seeing what's happening in the NBA playoffs this year. That could be another move. I love Suggs in the NCAA tournament, so I'd love to see him there, but I don't know if he makes a lot of sense for their overall roster. Jalen Green's this he's got a way lower floor but a way higher ceiling. He's an elite scorer. He's doing crazy things in this whole G league elite thing that he had going on instead of playing college. So, I mean, still it's huge for the Raps to move up in the top four when there's four clear guys who could go number one in a lot of other drafts. Kate Cunningham's first overall. That's not really in question, but these other three are still phenomenal players. They're going to be, they all three of them should be multiple time all-stars in this league. Yeah. I mean, so the thing that I look at it is, is like, so Fred Van, so Kyle Lowry, I mean, I hope he re-signs this year, but he's on his way out. I mean, the guy is not, he's still good. Like, don't get me wrong, but they need a replacement for him at some point. So I don't think drafting a guard is a bad thing, but I think it's one of these drafts where, especially when you got four guys in the top, like, like people are talking about Raptors trading out, as you just said, or whatever, going off the board. And I'm like, don't you have to take one of the, best available players like is this not an nfl situation where you're like we don't necessarily need this position but like let's just take the best available player here because not that necessarily it's a generational talent but like you got four guys who could be number one like do you have to take one of those guys well it all depends because you're seeing this here especially in this eastern conference that's not very good and you think maybe you sign Lowry for another year, you sign Trent, you sign, keep a couple of these guys around. You can trade that pick and move back to there's teams, Golden State and Orlando both have two picks in the first round. So they'll be interested in moving up. You might be able to get a really good player who will fit into that number two, like Bradley Beal's talked about. Would they move Bradley Beal for that pick? And you could kind of go for it, especially in this weak East. So it's kind of what you want to do there. I don't think that would be a terrible, terrible idea. So that's, I do see the argument there. I still think they should stick with this fourth overall pick, but I see the arguments. But the thing is, is you're going to trust Bobby Webster. You hope Masai is still a part of this conversation because that's still got to get figured out. I think he will be. I think he will be. And you know what? I'm going to trust these two to do whatever they need to. So if it's moving the pick or picking whoever's left at four, I, I, I'm 100% okay with it. I don't think they can move up because I think they want Mowgli, but I don't think it's possible for them to move up or would be worth moving up for. So it'll be interesting. But, yeah, it's huge for them to move from eight to four. Like, it was oh. actually massive. You don't see this. This is a massive pick for this organization yep. if they choose to keep it. This is 
arguably their best, biggest pick since what, Bargnani? Yep, pretty well. I think the last time they picked number four was Chris Bosch. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's it's huge. Um, yeah, I mean, the, the one thing about – I want to talk about Masai Ujiri for a second. So, Masai Ujiri, he traded DeMar DeRozan, who is a well-loved Raptor, who's a loser. When I say loser, I said with all due respect. He just couldn't win. He looked at the roster and was like, okay – I'm going to trade DeMar DeRozan. I'm going to bring in Kawhi. And people were like, that's fucking stupid. DeMar DeRozan's like your best guy. Like he loves Toronto. You brought him in. You're bringing in a one-year deal. This guy's going to walk, blah, blah, blah. They want a championship. Whatever Masai Ujiri wants to do, I don't give a fuck. This guy has my respect. Absolutely. I trust him just as much as I trust Brian Flores and the Miami Dolphins. He can do whatever the hell he wants, and I'm okay with it. I, I actually believe that he is the best um, executive in the league. He's won executive the league bef- uh, of the year before, and I think he will resign in Toronto. I think that there's enough of a challenge here. I mean, MLS is going to pay him. Like this is not a doubt. Um, it's not about the money. I, I think, but I just I love. I think there's enough of a challenge here for him where he can look at it and say, "Hey, all these other teams think that we're done." We didn't make the playoffs this year for the first time in forever. There's more here for me to do. I got young players to work with. Where else would I rather be? And I think this number four pick can add to him wanting to stay. It's just yeah. one more thing that you're like, wow, I actually get a top pick and I'm not trying to pick guys who are two years from being two years yeah. away and just stuff like that. I think this moving up in this draft can help. And Messiah's got to stay. They got to find a way of doing it, whatever he wants. Basically, they got to give him the opportunity. I know. Yeah, I know some of the talk is like he wants to go try and turn that Knicks team around, even though they've turned around a bit or go. There's been even talks about him going to soccer and stuff and going to like England and stuff and for that opportunity and that challenge. So it's hard to say, but yeah, we'll see. I I really hope the Raptors can keep him because they need to. He's made the tough decisions and they got a championship out of it. So we've seen what he can do with some of these drafting too. So it's yeah, he's got to stay End of story in, in Maasai. We trust. I think that's a pretty good way to cap that. Um, let's talk more NBA. So last week the bucks beat the, so the bucks lost to the nets um, in game six, had an opportunity to close, didn't close. Giannis turned the ball over late. And I was, and I, and I, when I was recording last week, didn't get released. I put Giannis on blast. I'm like, this guy is a loser. He cannot figure it out. And then what do they do in game seven against the Nets? Oh, baby. Kyrie Irving's hurt. I understand that. But Kevin Durant was on a heater last series. And the Bucks got it done. So I only want to talk about this for a brief second. Because there's there's a couple more series that I definitely want to touch on. But is this the Bucks year? Because... It's got. I mean, honestly, man, this is their. This has got to be one of their best chances because the East is pretty weak. Although the West is pretty darn good, but this has got to be like if they they got if they don't get to the NBA Finals this year, it's over. It's 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 over over. There's no chance they're getting back there again. Yeah, they just they're no good. The Bucks are no good. Ooh. Giannis is a freak. 
But no, they don't have a chance at winning. Even if they make the finals here, they have no chance against the West. I don't think anybody in the East really did this year. The Nets healthy were the only team I thought could compete with the West. And that's it. I don't really see them competing. And uh, Giannis made a big uh, move by signing their, signing their long-term. He should have came up north. Oh, I mean, come on. Greek Town would have loved him. Masai wanted him. I would have taken him in a heartbeat. Although, if he keeps being a loser, it is what it is. Um, I want to talk again. So, let's, let's, let's talk about more NBA. The Philadelphia 76ers, Cam. The Maple Leafs of the NBA. Just absolutely blow a series to Atlanta. Like this is pretty much 28 to three territory in, in the Sixers land. Cause they like, they were up by 25 points. I think in game six, 25 points in game six, to close the series and they lose. And Ben Simmons is just like Stephen A. Smith is trashing Ben Simmons. Like he doesn't have work ethic. You know, the, the, the process, like, and, and Embiid was playing hurt. Like, I can't blame him. But, man, it actually makes me feel so good as a Leafs fan that there's another franchise somewhere in the world that fans are just absolutely ripping and shitting on every single year. I'm like, yeah, it's not just our team. <laughs> yeah, the process has to be over now. And Ben Simmons... He might be the most talented NBA player who can't score, if that makes any sense. Yeah, he I mean, can't does. score. I mean, he doesn't shoot because he can't really. But you you watch him and you're like, man, this guy's unreal. And then he tries shooting or just doesn't shoot, and you're like, what? What are you doing? He literally had the one in that big blowout or when they blew the lead. He had two chances to lay it up really easily, and he passed it underneath the basket. No confidence. Like, Even if you. Even if you put those four points in, that stops the run. You got a little – It's he's terrible. And they've had massive issues. Like they drafted Markel Fultz really high the one year, and he had that massive shoulder injury and suddenly couldn't shoot. And so that was an issue. Ben Simmons has turned into – I don't even know what to think of him anymore. Like he just can't score. Yep. Joel Embiid is he, – he was arguably the MVP. He finished second in voting, so he's, he's still there. And he's getting year. it done. So – but, yeah, I just – I don't think he can win with – Ben Simmons on your team, just you need guys who can score when you're, especially when you're paying him that much. He's a super max. It's, it's crazy. So like, yeah. Embiid's the same spot as Giannis. You're unreal players. Two of the top 10 players in the NBA, no doubt, but your team sucks. And that's the end of the thing. And yeah, I don't really have much more to touch on that. Last thing I want to talk about um, NBA. So I'm going to skip past a couple things here. I mean, the, the Clippers pulled it off, got to the got to the conference finals. The Suns, the Phoenix Suns are up 2-0. Stephen A. Smith came out and said that Devin Booker is the closest thing to Kobe Bryant that we've seen ever, which is wild. That's a wild comparison. Um, did you see the way the game ended last night for the Suns to go up 2-0? I did not see the end of the game, no. Okay, so... Suns were down by a point. I think it was 102-101, uh, something like that. Paul George gets fouled at the end of the game because the uh, Suns turn it over in the offensive zone. So, like, seven seconds left. Paul George has got two free throws to basically seal the game. They're up one point. And he misses both. Paul George, second best player on the team, misses both free throws. The Suns go down the end of the floor. Uh, ball goes out of bounds at 0.7 seconds left, and it's Sun's ball. They inbound the ball for an alley-oop to win the game. And 
man, first of all, fucking wild. Like almost as good as the whole Kawhi thing. My my first comment on that though is is number one, how can you let an alley uh, alley oop happen from out of bounds with 0.7 yeah, seconds left? I did I did see the rules on that. You know all the rules around that, correct? Yeah, I do. So I mean, they, this? yeah, they were yeah. So they were talking basically about how so the ball that was inbounded was in the cylinder, so it was technically a goaltend, except you can't goaltend on an inbound because if you throw the ball in the in the hoop on an inbound, it doesn't count. So there's no goaltending on an inbound, and that's it. And it counted, but like there was a really good pick on that play where they, I forget who the guy was who got free, but um, alley oop to win the game is just fucking wild. And the Suns are up two nothing. The Clippers look, frankly, completely lost without Kawhi Leonard, who's hurt with an ACL injury right now. Um, man, it, it's it just it's it's amazing how often like one guy goes out and you're done. But it might be curtains for the Clippers. It it really might be. This Suns team yeah. looks unbelievable. Yeah, you're missing Serge and you're missing Kawhi. So those are two big pieces because Serge will be in your rotation for center pretty good. And the other thing is, is tomorrow night Phoenix gets Chris Paul back. He hasn't played yet. So they've been doing all this without their one of their starters. And Chris Paul has been great for them all season. So... Yeah, the, the Suns, I think, are going to roll here, and I think the Suns really are going to end up be, winning the NBA championship. I don't think either of these East teams can compete with them, and you just look at this roster, and they're just deep. Like, Aiton's having a massive year. You knew he was drafted high, and he was going to be it, and he's just, it was 2018 he was drafted. He's finally turning into that star he was. Devin Booker's crazy. Then you're just getting massive from everybody on that team. Like, Cameron Payne's been unreal this season. And you're just a lot of depth. It's very similar to what the Raptors did for years. Just a ton of depth and a couple really good players and just getting it done. One thing I want to comment about the NBA, and you, you disagree with me a little bit. We've had this conversation. Um, I love the final teams that are left here. I love it. You've got Phoenix. You've got the Clippers. You've got Atlanta, who Trey Young's been unbelievable. And you've got the Bucks. I think that this is a great NBA Finals for two reasons. Number one, it's going to be the whoever wins is going to be the third different team in three years to win the NBA championship. From a competitive standpoint, I think that's unreal. Uh, number two, um, you've got teams winning who don't have the big three. Like Brooklyn, I know Kyrie got hurt, but the Bucks ended up taking him out. The Lakers, whose stacked teams didn't get it done. The Clippers, again... They're they're down two at two nil. The Suns have just, you know, drafted really well, developed their players, and they're having success. Atlanta, same kind of thing. I uh, I look at this as a big win for NBA teams and a big win for NBA fans of franchises who frankly maybe never thought that they had a chance to win. And I know that you kind of have an opposite opinion on it, but I, I love it. I just I hated with the NBA how it was um, Golden State won th- for three years, and so out of ten years, it was Golden State was three, Miami was three, San Antonio was one. Like there was always the same teams in it, and I just loved it. I, I loved the team diversity in the last three years. No, that's where I agree with you. So it came across maybe a little wrong. I completely agree. I like these matchups and I like it, but it's terrible for the NBA overall. The viewership's way down on these series because the stars are out, the big cities are out. The viewership's way down. So it's not good for the NBA. As a fan of basketball and the NBA, I love it. I love seeing that these super teams aren't winning. And 
I like getting behind like a Devin Booker or Trey Young. Like those guys are super exciting and I love watching them. But for the NBA and the owners and stuff and TV, they're hating this. This is terrible for them. There's way less money, way less viewership. It's not good for the game of basketball overall. So that's just the only point I was trying to make with that is it's not really great for the NBA. It's for the casual fan, I guess. And that's where the majority of people are. For the super like diehard fans who just love basketball and love watching some of these younger players, it is super good. And I'm enjoying it. But for overall for the NBA and the game of basketball, not having the Knicks in or LeBron in or Curry in, it's not good. Yeah, and, and from a number you're right, from a numbers perspective, I totally get it. Absolutely. I, I totally understand. Just that casual fan perspective though, like again, the, the same thing where it's like if if Tampa won four years in a row in the NHL, I'd be pissed. It'd be so annoying. Like I know teams did it back in the eighties and whatever, but it's like nowadays it's like, eh, like let's see some new teams win. Like St. Louis, great story. Happy to see them win. Did that did the NHL have great numbers because of that? Probably not. Was it awesome from a fan perspective? Absolutely it was. It was sick. Um, so I don't know. I, I mean, out of the final four teams, Cam, who do you want to see win win the title? Yeah, I definitely want to see Phoenix, I think. I like a lot of their players, but I, in an Atlanta-Phoenix final, I'd be okay with it going either way. Yeah, I am a – I'm on Team Phoenix here too. I, I, I really, really, really like Devin Booker, and I'm a Chris Paul fan. Paul fan. I think that he – it'd be awesome to see him – um, win a title. Same, same kind of thing where Kyle Lowry, right? Like Kyle Lowry finally wins his title. I love to see Chris Paul win his title. Uh, it'd be unbelievable. Uh, last thing that I want to um, get into before we kind of sign it off until next week is two things, the Jays. And then the second one I want to talk about is the pitchers and the foreign substance thing. Cause it's so funny. Let's get in the Jays first. So, the Jays, the last time that we talked, it was like, man, they're winning all these games late. Like, they're coming back, blah, blah, blah. Holy fuck, has that ever turned around? Their bullpen is atrocious. They've blown so many games in the 8th and ninth inning. It's actually getting comical now. It's it's absolutely brutal. They're getting pretty good starting pitching. They're even up, you know, 4-2, 4-3, 5-2, 5-3, whatever the case is. And for whatever fucking reason, 8th, ninth inning, and they just, it just goes away. Like Ross, I, I was going to tweet this out. I want to tweet at Ross Atkins. I couldn't find him on Twitter, but man, you got to do something. Like you have such a skilled rotation. You cannot waste the year here, buddy. Like go get something fucking done. Let's go. What are you doing? Yeah, it's ridiculous. It's if you had two dependable bullpen arms, you would have five wins easily right now. Five more wins easily. And that's where, like, got losing their closer, Kirby Yates, to start the year is actually looking like it was it's way bigger than we thought. Like, he was going to be that elite closer this year for you, and you lost him with for Tommy John right in spring training. So that's killing you. But, yeah, you got to start making a move. I know you have a ton of depth all over the place, especially on outfield now that George Springer's back. You have a ton of depth. A guy like Lourdes is now – you can move him. If you need to move Lourdes Gurriel, you can. If you can get that arm that's going to make a difference in that bullpen, be your closer, you can move a young guy with a ton of potential like that because you have a ton of other guys who could do that spot. We've got enough from Randall Gritchick this year that he can step in and you're going to get more for a guy like Guriel. So you got to make one of these moves sooner than later because you can't fall out of it. You're seven games back of Boston now for the division, so it's starting to sneak away. I know you do play them 
because they're in your division a bunch and they are in a weak part of their schedule. So hopefully they can rake in a few wins now, but you got to do something in this bullpen. You just have nobody who's dependable right now. Nobody like not even nobody one arm, nobody. And it's, it's terrible. Yeah. You're getting good enough work out of the starting pitching. And the only other thing I think you got to consider is Nate Pearson's still playing in AAA, and he's not, he's looking okay. So I think you might have to do what you did in those runs with like an Aaron Sanchez where he was going to be a starter long-term, but you're in a win now mode where maybe Nate Pearson needs to pitch out of the pen this year. You look at his stuff, like he's a, over a hundred. If you're only using him for an inning or two, it might be worth looking at. And I know long-term you want him a starter and you don't want to ruin that, but man, your windows now get him back to being a starter next year. You need help in the bullpen desperately this season. You got to do something sooner than later. Or you're going to blow it. Bottom line, like you're going to blow it. Like you're seven games behind the race for the division lead. Like buddy, you got to get shit done now. You're halfway through the season. Like there's no joke anymore. And like, you can say, Oh, we're still young, blah, blah, blah. Have you seen this rotate? Like, have you seen this batting order? Like it's unbelievable. Like Vladdy, Vladdy is a first vote All Star all day long. He's leading the MLB in, in All Star votes. Marcus Simeon is going to make second base All Star by far. Like you legitimately have three guys who are going to make the All Star team possibly first vote. That and and George Springer's been hurt all year, and he probably would have made the All Star game too. So you have four guys in your bat in your lineup in your order who could be that who are all-stars Vladdy is unbelievable by the way like we talked about him earlier I don't want to spend too much time on it because we're saying the same thing over and over pumping his tires but like their their lineup is ridiculous it's absolutely ridiculous and the fact that they are where they are right now is unbelievable so get your shit together Ross Atkins get some relievers get some pitchers I don't care what you have to do this team is ready to win now you're ready to win now you can you can you can hit against any team, any pitcher in the league. I don't care. You have to get it together. Like, let's fucking go. Enough is enough. Like, the last time that we were competitive or had anything exciting was 2015. And that lineup, like, you talk about Josh Donaldson, Jose Bautista, Edwin Encarnacion. Our lineup, our batting order is better than that, which is wild. But our pitching yeah, it's, is shit. It's it's putting up those kind of numbers, and we haven't had George Springer in the lineup yet. So it's it's crazy right now. They actually are trying to figure out who to put where, especially they're playing the Marlins tonight. So it's an NL team, so they have no DH. So it's like, where do you go with the lineup now? Like, with no DH, you don't have enough spots. So it's a, it's a really nice problem to have, but you got to use some of this depth at all your position now to go find some bullpen arms, and that's just a fact. You need probably one starter and two to three bullpen arms to really make this count and really put a push on here. And that's what they they should do, and that's what I hope that they do. Um, but I I want to get into this story because it's hilarious. Um, so Rob Manfred is crack. So commissioner of the MLB is cracking down on pitchers and form substances. So part uh, time. Uh, holy shit! I can't talk. Uh, pine tar. I actually didn't think about that. That's ridiculous. I almost said Tyne Par again. Par is on the mind. I need to get back on the golf course. Pine Tar. Um, and so he, after he instituted this, I want to talk about, I think it was yesterday, yesterday's instance or maybe it was the day before. Max Scherzer goes on the mound 
And and so every pitcher gets checked before they come on the mound for the first time. That's fine. I have no problem with that. So they check his cap. They check his his hands. They check his belt, whatever. They check it all. Make sure there's no foreign substance. Okay, great. Pitches an inning. Third inning, he gets checked again. And he's like, oh, fuck's sakes. Like, why is this happening? All right, here you go. Here's my hat. Here's my belt. Blah, blah, blah. And then in the fifth, after the fourth inning, he just and, – and actually, it's funny. The, the the rotation and, like, the ball speed and all this stuff on these guys has gone down since they've done this rule. So you know they're all using it. Every single every, – everyone was. Um, end of the fourth, he strikes out whoever it was against the Phillies. And Joe Girardi calls the umpire over and asks him to check Scherzer again. So – the umpires like gather together and Scherzer's like, what the fuck is happening? They come over to Scherzer and Scherzer's like, you can see him melt it. He's like, oh my fuck. And just like fucking whips his hat down, whips his glove down, like unbuttons his pants. He's about to pull his pants down. You've seen this by Ramos the other night too. And, uh, and you can see him saying, I've got nothing. I've got nothing. He's like, you want to feel my fucking hair? So you zoom in, the camera zooms in. He like bends over and the ump's like rubbing on his hair and like trying to... <laughs> all this shit i'm just watching this video dying because scherzer's like holy fuck you guys are fucking stupid gerardi gerardi ends up getting tossed on the game for it i understand that you got to reduce this stuff but this is just comical like i actually feel that if you're gonna challenge it like if you look at the nhl (laughs) um if you challenge a a goal or you get a penalty I think it should be the I should I should be the same in the MLB. If you're a if you're a manager and you want to challenge a pine tar thing or like a stick measurement, if you want to challenge that shit, there has to be some repercussions for that, right? And the only reason that Girardi got uh, ejected was because he was yelling at Scherzer because Scherzer was pissed at him. But if you're gonna challenge a, a foreign substance thing, like there has to be a there has to be some sort of consequence. You can't just like every two innings be like yeah yeah check him check him check him now he's definitely got something. Yeah, and especially you can't do it after he strikes out a guy. It just ruins the momentum and stuff, and it's just it's stupid. I completely kind of agree. Like, a guy checks into a game, the pitcher, for the first time. That's a perfect time to check him. Check everywhere. But then you hear Max Scherzer afterwards, because it's like the third day that it's been happening in the majors. He's like, do you really think I'd be that much of an idiot on the third day we're looking at it to actually do something? Like, nobody's going to be that dumb this early. And it was... Yeah, you gotta be. You gotta lose your challenge. You don't even lose your challenge because what? You get one before the seventh inning, and then one after, or an additional one after the seventh inning. You you gotta lose those then. You gotta do something to penalize a team because you just can't keep asking the players over and over again. It's like stick you know check after stick a, check. Yeah, you know there's gonna be a ton of policing early, and that's probably overcorrection by the MLB. I mean, I could talk about how I think this probably should be implemented in the offseason because you've already heard yep. a couple of pitchers get injured because they're having to change their grip and stuff because all the pitchers for years have been using sticky stuff. 100%. 100%. So I kind of think it should have been done in the offseason so guys could have got used to it because you're hearing guys who are now done for the year being like, yeah, I had to completely adjust my grip. I can't hold the ball properly anymore. I needed to work on this in the offseason. So I agree there. But, yeah, you, now you're overcorrecting something that, probably shouldn't have been done in the middle of the year. And yeah, you just can't let managers just be like, yep, I'm going to want to challenge this guy. Oh, he struck out another guy. Oh, can you go check again? Cause he's definitely changed it from the last batter. It's, it's stupid. It's horrible. Like Girardi check was like, he... yeah, sorry. No, yeah, Girardi like... was like, he, he never touches his hat. He never touches his hat. I'm like, I'm pretty sure every pitcher that I've ever seen touches his hat. That's like, that's like saying like Rafa Nadell. He never, he never puts his hair behind his ears. He never does that. 
he never pulls his underwear out of his ass. I'm like, bro, are you have you watched this guy? <laughs> like, he does it every game. Well, and you just wonder, even if Scherzer doesn't do that quite regularly, like he was the other night, do you think he's just doing it to troll like the MLB and stuff? Just to well, try and get like like everyone's on camera, huh? I'm just gonna start feeling my hat and my belt and stuff way more often just to try and make it seem like I have nothing or have something, even though he had nothing. He wasn't gonna be that dumb. Scherzer's one of the best pitchers. Yeah, I know the spin rates and everything are down. But yeah, like it's he's not gonna do that on like the second day that this rule's been implemented. Nobody's that stupid. So yeah, hopefully the major leagues fi- figures that out where guys just can't be challenging or telling the umps to go check this guy every every other batter or every inning. It's so funny. Like I actually want to see it continue because it makes me laugh. But at the same time, like as a pitcher, I'd be so pissed. I'd be like, bro, like come on. Well, the other thing, the other thing is baseball's already like they lose viewership because it's so slow and there's so many breaks and stuff. This is going to make it way worse. If we're going to be stopping every inning for pitchers to get checked, it's like, holy cow. Like when they're doing their warm up for when they come in from the bullpen or something, just quickly check them then when it's kind of a commercial break and stuff. But to do it all the time when it's got to be on the broadcast, no. I I 100% agree. And I, as I said, there has to be some sort of penalty. I don't know what it is, but like maybe it's move a guy up. Like I don't know what it is. Or maybe you like – if you check and whatever, and you're wrong, then like the next inning, they get to start with the guy on second base. Like, I don't know what it is, but there has to be some sort of repercussions. Like, it's just ridiculous. But anyway, um, anything else you want to talk about? We've covered a lot today. We've got a lot more to come. Um, I mean, by this time next week, who knows? Like either Vegas or Montreal is off to the Stanley Cup final. Uh, we'll be able to give a cup final preview next week for sure. I think the Stanley Cup final might start by then. Um, so, I mean, it's going to be unreal. Uh, anything else you want to get to cam before we, uh, sign off until next week? No, I think maybe we can try and sneak in half an hour somewhere. When we find out this matchup, it looks like Tampa's going to pull through as they're up to nothing. So by the time our uh, buddy Nate's listening to this, I'm going guess is he'll be pretty happy. So, uh, yeah, maybe the cup preview next week. Hopefully We'll see when the actual cup starts because what Vegas, Montreal, if it goes to seven, it'll be Saturday. So it won't start till probably Tuesday or Wednesday next week. We'll see if Montreal wins tomorrow night, then who knows when it's going to start. So uh, exciting time to be a Habs fan though. Hopefully they can pull one more off, go to the Stanley cup final, and then it's best of seven versus Tampa probably. Yeah. And we're going to, and it's exciting to see, and you'll be fired up. Uh, you've got your champions of the North shirt, Hab shirt on today. Um, that is nice. It's, it's a shirt. That's pretty cool. It's, it's it's got the scores of, uh, like both rounds of the North too. So just to remind you every time I wear it about three, one. Yeah. Okay. How those, how those last uh, three games went. Oh, it's super fantastic. Um, before we, uh, I sign off a couple things, housekeeping things. Um, first thing is, is that again, uh, if you like the pod, you're listening to the pod, wherever you are. Um, shout out to our listeners in the U.S. Shout out to our listeners in Australia, uh, especially Canada, where all of our main support is. Uh, we love you. We appreciate you. Uh, feel free to share the podcast every week. We greatly appreciate that. And also leave a review on Apple Podcasts. Uh, I, you know, that that helps us. Helps us get uh, in front of more listeners. Helps us do the things that we want to do. Uh, second thing is I am doing a fundraiser uh, to support uh, local women's shelters, and I am doing a Shave It or Save It campaign. 
uh, and I'm kicking that off this week. Uh, so I've got a glorious mustache that every, well, I did sort of this last year, but, uh, basically people can, uh, if you can contact me on Twitter, you can contact me on Facebook, usually I do run it through Facebook. Uh, but you can basically donate money to the local women's shelter, get a vote as to whether you want to shave my mustache or save it. I did have a client's kid uh, yesterday ask me, he looks at me, Cam, and he says, uh, he like rubs his upper lip and he says, why do you have this? And I didn't really have an answer for him. Uh, but uh, but that campaign's going on. It's going to run for the next couple of weeks. Stay tuned for details on that. Uh, local women's shelters is a, is a passion of mine supporting them. And uh, I do this every year. And, uh, and love the support. So I really want to keep the mustache though. So I, I need, I need those votes for keep the mustache. My wife will love it. So anyway, uh, all right. So as, uh, glad we got to do an episode this weekend. Um, you can follow us on Twitter at over six sports at Zach Burke over six at C Charlton turf. And for the over six sports podcast, I'm Zach the Bandit Burke, and with me, as always, Cameron Charlton, the Turf King Charlton, no. the Turf King. One of these days, he's going to say it, folks. Stay tuned every week, just so you can hear the t- just so you can hear the Turf King say his real name. Thank you for listening to Six Sports, and we'll chat with you next week.